Allow me to begin by welcoming you to the Franklin Church and thanking you for being here with us today as we've gathered to worship God and remember what He has done for us and to honor and praise Him for that. We recognize, of course, that today, according to our society and our world, is a very special day in which most people are remembering the death, the burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At the Franklin Church, we recognize, however, that today is really no more special or important than any Lord's Day on which we gather as Christ's body, as His church here in Franklin, to remember what Jesus did for us, just as we did moments ago here with the Lord's Supper. However, we are also keenly aware of the fact that most people today are thinking about the Lord's death. And most people on this day are willing to hear about the Lord's death, whereas on other occasions they often are not. This year we're also very well aware that people's hearts and minds are open to discussing the death of our Lord because of something that's happened this year that hadn't happened before. A movie got made. And for better or for worse, that movie has opened people's hearts and minds up to discussing the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of the release of this film, The Passion of Christ by Mel Gibson, there's been all kinds of debate, there's been all kinds of discussion, there's been all kinds of argument regarding what has happened. And one of the questions that has been most often asked is, who killed Jesus. No doubt you have read articles answering this question. You've seen television interviews dealing with this question. No doubt you've heard all kinds of people sound forth answering this question. But I'm bringing it up today because if I were a wagering man, I would wager that in reality you have not yet heard the actual true answer to this question. You've heard partial answers to this point. But the truth regarding the answer to this question is actually extremely shocking. And so today, as we're gathered here and our hearts and minds are open to discuss what happened with Jesus, I want us to ask the question, who killed Jesus. And we're going to take a look at the partial answers that we've already heard and end by noticing the ultimately shocking true answer to this question. We'll begin by answering that the Jews killed Jesus. We can begin in John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1 and verse 11, the text there says, as it talked about the Word of God, who is, of course, God's Son, deity, became flesh. And in John chapter 1 and verse 11, it says, He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. Now, here in this verse, when it says He came to His own, He's not talking about coming into the creation. He's talking very specifically about coming to the Jewish nation, His own special people. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7 and verse 6. One example demonstrating how God viewed the children of Israel. It says in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. When Jesus came to His own, He came to the Jewish nation. And John chapter 1 and verse 11 sets the stage for everything that was going to happen among them his own 
did not receive them, receive him. Look in John 11. In John chapter 11, we can read the story of Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, the friend of Jesus who had died, and they called Jesus. And he, he didn't come until after he died, and he got there, and Mary and Martha were so sad. If you'd been here, Lord, he wouldn't have died. But then Jesus, of course, raised him from the dead. But this upset the Pharisees and the chief priests. And in John chapter 11 and verse 47, the Scripture there says, Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Notice verse 53. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. From that day forward, the chief priests and the council of the Jews planned together to kill Jesus, who is the Christ. Who killed Him? The Jews did. And we find that when that final Passover of Jesus' life had come, beginning in verse 55, now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to... I'm just having trouble reading today. Now, the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That He will not come to the feast at all? Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees, in verse 57, had given orders that if anyone knew where He was, He was to report it so that they might seize Him. The priests and the Pharisees have counseled together and they're plotting to kill Jesus and they want to do it right now. And so if anybody knows where this Jesus is, where we can get Him in private, let us know so we can try Him. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 14. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 14. Then one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to betray Him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. And of course, we know what happened. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 47, Jesus and 11 of his disciples are in the garden. He's gone off a little ways and taken James and Peter and John with him. And then he's gone even a little bit further into the garden and he's prayed. And then in verse 47 of Matthew 26, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Here the priests and elders of the Jewish nation had sent this large crowd with Judas to arrest Jesus. And that is exactly what happened. And then they put him through a farcical trial in which there were all kinds of witnesses whose stories contradicted. But finally, 
Finally, in verse 63, it says of Matthew 26, that Jesus kept silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. That is, he placed him under an oath before God, that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered, He deserves death. The council of the Jews cried out, He deserves death. And they took him to Pilate. And in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 19, Matthew 27 and verse 19, while he, that is Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they said, Crucify Him. Why? What evil has He done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Crucify Him! When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And the people said, His blood shall be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them, but after having Jesus scourged, he handed handed him over to be crucified. The Jews cried out for his crucifixion. Pilate tried to get Jesus released. He tried to give them options to circumvent the priests and the elders, but they got the people all excited against Jesus, and they cried for his crucifixion, and they forced it through. And interestingly, you can look in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 2, as Peter and the twelve preached to those on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, Peter said this to the Israelites, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter says it was the Jews. And in chapter 3 and verse 13, Peter, preaching again, says in chapter 3, verse 13 of Acts, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the Prince of Life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses." The apostles, as they preached to the Jews, placed the blame squarely upon them that day and said, you killed him. You disowned him. Takes us full circle back to John 1, doesn't it? He came to his own and you disowned him and rejected him and asked for a murderer to be saved in his place. No doubt, the Jews killed Jesus. However, that's only a part of the answer. We recognize that it wasn't just the Jews. They weren't alone. We understand that the Romans also killed Jesus. Look in John chapter 18. Something very interesting in John chapter 18 and verse 3. 
In John chapter 18 and verse 3, I'm reading from the New American Standard here. It says, Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Yours may say, with a band of men. Judas then, having received the band of men and officers from the chief priests. Interestingly, that phrase there that says band of men is a very specific Greek term. And it was a term that was used specifically to describe a cohort of Roman soldiers, which is why the New American Standard translates it that way. A Roman cohort. You know what we find out here? Is we find that from the very beginning, as the Jews were trying to get Jesus crucified, they had appealed to the Romans for help. And even in the arrest, they were helping get Jesus arrested. The Romans were a part of this. And then, of course, we remember in John chapter 19, John chapter 19, throughout all the trials and as they brought Jesus before Pilate, for all of Pilate's hand-washing and trying to claim that he was innocent, Pilate said something against himself in John 19 and verse 10. He says, you don't, you don't speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Whose authority was it that placed the stamp on Jesus' execution order? It was Pilate. Pilate did this. Mark chapter 15 and verse 15 explains very clearly who is to blame for the death of Jesus. In Mark chapter 15 and verse 15, the Scripture there says in Mark 15, 15, wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, He handed Him over to be crucified. Here is this great Roman governor, scared of the people. And instead of making the choice to do what's right, He decided He wanted to please the people instead. And so He released Barabbas. And from His authority vested in Him by the Roman government, He stamped Jesus' execution order. And then he handed him over to the soldiers. Verse 16, Mark 15 says, The soldiers, we're talking Roman soldiers, took him away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. John chapter 19. John chapter 19. makes it very clear. Beginning at verse 16, So then he, that is Pilate, handed him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is in Hebrew Golgotha. And there they crucified him, with, and with him two other men, on one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus, the Nazarene, King of the Jews. Therefore many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. And the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Don't write King of the Jews, but he said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took the outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the Scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Verse 25, Therefore the soldiers did these things. Who did it? The Roman soldiers. Interestingly, we can look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 27. 
Acts chapter 4 and verse 27, after all this was done and Jesus was resurrected and the kingdom was being established, the apostles had been arrested, Peter and James, and, and they had been released. And now they're praying together. And in Acts chapter 4 and verse 27 it says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Who was it that was gathered against Jesus? Not just the Jews by themselves, but the Gentiles, the Romans. And so what we find is that while speaking to the Jews, the apostles placed the blame squarely on them, but they recognized they were not the only ones to blame. The Romans, the Gentiles, executed and murdered our Savior. But we know that's not all. We know that's not the complete answer. We know there's more to it. In fact, I'm not telling you anything new when I point out to you that it wasn't just the Romans of that day and it wasn't just the Jews of that day that put Jesus on the cross. We did it. I am the one, we sang just moments ago. It was our sins. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. The Scripture says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, the wages of sin, which described in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. We deserve that. But Jesus went to that cross to bear our sins. In fact, it was prophesied. Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah chapter 53, beginning at verse 4. In Isaiah chapter 53, beginning at verse 4, God demonstrated before all of this happened that Jesus was going to come and He was going to die, but it was going to be because of us. Because of our sins. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4. Surely our griefs He Himself bore and our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. Peter repeats this theme in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Beginning at verse 23. While being reviled, 1 Peter 2.23, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. In verse 24, he himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Chapter 3 and verse 18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. It was us. We may not have been there holding the handle of the scourge, but it was our transgressions that kept bringing it down upon His back. We may not have been the ones hammering the nails into His hands and into His feet, but it was our transgressions that pounded that hammer. We may not have been in the crowd mocking and jeering, but it was our iniquities that burdened Him on that cross. It was us. Who killed Jesus? We did. 
Because without our sins, there would have been no need for this sacrifice or this death. But because we sinned, He went to the cross and died. You've heard all this before though, haven't you? No doubt you've read these things in articles. This is constantly repeated on TV and interviews. But have you thought about how that if we were to stop here, how absurd this all is as far as a real answer to this question? The Jews, could they kill Jesus? Look at John 18. In John chapter 18, verse 31. Remember what it said? Pilate said, And then take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said, We're not permit, permitted to put anyone to death. We don't have the authority to do that. And Pilate himself, when he said, I've got the authority, you remember what Jesus said in verse 11 of John 19? John 19, 11. Jesus answered, you have no authority over me unless it's been given to you from above. The Romans couldn't do it. The Jews couldn't do it. What about us? Our sins. Did that force Jesus to the cross? Did our sins obligate Jesus to die for us? Did He just have to do it because we're so awesome and we deserve it? Absolutely not. And so all of these answers, as good as they may be, do not cover the reality and the true shocking answer. The shocking answer is found in John chapter 10 and verse 17. In John chapter 10 and verse 17. Actually, let's back up to verse 11. Let's read that one. John 10 and verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Drop down to verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. The shocking true answer. The Romans didn't do it. The Jews didn't do it. We didn't do it. Jesus did it. He laid down His life all on His own. Isn't that phenomenal? Go back to Isaiah chapter 53. And in that prophecy, it talked about our sins being taken away. If we read verses 10 through 12 in Isaiah 53, notice what it says. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10, But the Lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He'll see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I'll allot him a portion with the great and he'll divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. He did this Himself. Jesus laid down His own life. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 53. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 53. As Peter 
were starting to fight. Jesus said, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father? And He'll at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels. A legion was 6,000. Jesus said, if I wanted to right now, I could call 72,000 angels and they would stop this. I don't need you cutting off the servants either. This whole time, Jesus could come down from the cross. He could stop all of this, but He didn't. That old cliched statement that it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross, but His love is absolutely true. And in Acts chapter 4 and verse 27... When the apostles had prayed and they pointed out that the the Gentiles and the Jews were all gathered together against your son, in verse 28 they said, it was to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. God caused this. Jesus did it. The Spirit. That's the true answer, brethren. Why? Romans chapter 5 explains why. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why did it happen? Because for some amazing, phenomenal reason, despite how awful we've been and how much we've sinned and spit in the face of God, He loves us. And He sent His Son to die for us. And He crushed Him instead of us. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. Ephesians 2 and verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in By God's mercy and by God's grace, we're saved through the blood of Jesus. Who killed Jesus? The true answer is Jesus laid down His own life so that He could take it up again. Because He loved us and He's merciful. God crushed Him instead of us. What an amazing God we have. Don't you think?